pray with me? Lord, thank you. Thank you that you are the great mediator. Thank you, Lord, that you came to restore our relationship with the Father. You came to install peace. Lord, thank you that you gave your life to bring peace. Lord, please give us that spirit, that ability to be peacemakers and mediators in our world today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. It is wonderful to be here with you this morning. Trinity Kids, you are going with Erica Shepard. Where are you going, Erica? Right over here. Right over there. What age are Trinity Kids? What? what ages are Trinity Kids? All ages. All ages. You're welcome. I see a lot of young people. Feel free to join Erica. She's pretty cool. So last week, We heard this uh, lesson from Ephesians that we just heard again this morning on purpose. Actually, it was the lesson that was appointed for today. But because of Paul's emphasis, because of Paul's reminder to us that God has a plan for the fullness of time to bring all things into unity under Jesus, I actually uh, asked that we have it read last week as well because we're talking about being peacemakers. We're talking about peace and about unity. And last week, we came to understand that, like Jesus the peacemaker, we are called to be peacemakers. And Jesus is also our great mediator. You know, a mediator is a person who goes and tries to help parties who have a dispute to resolve that dispute to work on behalf of both parties, to resolve their dispute and bring them into a peaceful relationship, bring them into harmony, into a restored relationship. So this morning, uh, I'm going to go way, way, way out on a limb. I'm going to try something, and please give me grace, because it may not work. But... As we think of ourselves as peacemakers and mediators, I'm reminded that a fellow named Stephen Covey wrote a book uh, about 30 years ago now called uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, And that book was a major hit. It sold like 40 million copies. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. What I want to do today is take a look at through the character and habits of Jesus himself, I want to look at what we might call the seven habits of highly effective mediators. So with apologies to Stephen Covey, here we go. And I want to start here, and this is where I'm going to go out on a limb, okay? Uh, Last year when our church was not having in-person services, I decided to wander down here uh, to South Hamilton, to Gordon Conwell, for Church on the Green, outdoor church, which was so wonderful. And one of those Sundays, there was a young uh, InterVarsity staff worker that Father Tim had invited to preach. 
And throughout the course of her sermon, this young preacher talked a lot about white privilege. She talked about systemic racism. She talked about getting rid of our whiteness. She talked about a number of those things. And as I sat there this morning, I was thinking, gee, you know, I'm not sure I agree with everything she says. And I know that there were some people there who kind of got angry as she was uh, delivering her sermon that morning at some of the terms she used. So what I want to do this morning is, is, as we look at these seven habits of highly effective mediators, is to do sort of a little, almost a role play, but I, I'm the only person that's going to be involved in the role play. But, but I want us to imagine that I decided I was angry, and I didn't like what she said, and I didn't think it was right for her to say that. And I came here to hear about Jesus and not about all this stuff. And so I went up to her after the service. Let's imagine that I went up to her after the service. And I said, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? You come in here, you're just a young person, you don't know nothing about nothing, you don't know me, you don't know anybody out here, and you're calling us racist. Who do you think you are? You have no business being here. Well, imagine that being the situation. Father Tim has invited her to preach, and so Father Tim says, gee, you know, I, I need to go do something about this. So Father Tim comes over. And he decides he's going to try and resolve the situation. Well, what's the first thing that Father Tim needs to do? First thing that Father Tim needs to do in that situation is to start yelling at me? <laughs> no. The first thing that the person who wants to resolve a dispute, the first thing for a mediator that they need to do is to be calm. I remember I was listening just the other day to uh, a podcast. A woman, a former flight attendant, was being interviewed. And one of the things she was asked was, well, what do you do when something scary happens on the plane? You know, bad turbulence or the plane starts to wiggle or something like that. And she says, we just put a smile on our face and we go about our business as if nothing to see here, folks. Calm. Because the calm of the leader, the calm of the mediator is what calms the people in the situation. And, of course, Jesus was calm, wasn't he? Jesus was calm when those Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery to him. Do you remember what he did at first? He got down and he wrote something in the sand to the eternal mystery because none of us knows what it is. But there was a breather there. He was calm. He was calm in the boat in the storm. Remember, the disciples were all agitated. But what if Jesus had woken up, oh no, what are we going to do? The disciples would not have had peace, would they? He was calm. He was calm at his arrest when Peter pulled out the sword to cut the guy's ear off. He was calm during his trial. Jesus was calm because he knew who he was. He knew who he was in the Father. He knew what his mission was. And he knew the joy that was set before him. He was able to be our mediator, to give his life calmly for us. Secondly, what does a mediator need to do? Well, you know, Father Tim invited that person to come and preach, right? 
So Father, Father Tim, presumably, I don't know because I've never asked him, Father Tim presumably agreed with pretty much everything she had to say. And so Father Tim, coming to try to resolve this dispute, is he going to come in and say, Ross, you got to shut up, she's right. I asked her to come here because I believe what she says and you need to believe it. No. The mediator needs to set himself, herself aside. His ego, his uh, need to be right, whatever it is, needs to set that aside in order to be able to allow both sides to deal with both sides and to help both sides. And of course, isn't that what Jesus did? He was falsely accused. Jesus was unjustly Sentenced to death, and not only death, but death on a cross, which was reserved for the lowliest, the worst of sinners, the most despicable of people. But he set his ego aside. He set his need, his reputation aside, his need to be right because he was right. But he set all that aside so that he could give his life to bring peace, to bring peace between us and God. The job of the mediator, Father Tim, in that situation is to come and set aside whatever he believes and to begin to to be a neutral to work with the two parties. Well, thirdly, a mediator needs to be hospitable and to listen. Jesus made people feel comfortable and welcome, didn't he? You know, we talk about how Jesus so graciously, and he did, spent time with the sinners and the tax gatherers and the outcasts. And, but do you ever think about how amazing it is that those people were comfortable being with him? We're not comfortable with people, oftentimes, that we see who seem to be a bit self-righteous or that kind of thing. Or maybe religious leaders. I know sometimes people are uncomfortable with me when they see that I'm wearing a collar. Now, sometimes people are uncomfortable with me when they get to know me, too. But sometimes it's just the collar. But they were comfortable with Jesus because he wasn't self-righteous. Because he was a welcoming and a giving and a listening person. Jesus gave every person who came to him his complete attention. So in that situation, Tim's first obligation would be to listen to see what it was that I was saying, to come in, and, and I keep being tempted to do a little bit of his, his sweet southern accent, Ross, but I'll try not to do that because I won't do it well and I won't do it justice. <laughs> but, Ross, hey, you seem a little upset. Can we talk a minute? What What's your complaint this morning? Calmly asking me, giving up his position and asking me, what is it that I'm concerned about? Why? And I might tell him, this woman just called us all racists. Why do you feel that way? What did she say that made you feel that way? Well, Father Tim, she asked me, she told us, uh, that she told me that I have white privilege. I've earned everything. I grew up poor in Maine, and I've, I've worked really hard, and what's that privilege business? She called me a racist. She told me to get rid of my whiteness. She told me to get rid of my body. How can I do that? 
Am I guilty because I was born this way? Tim would want to hear all of that and say, how does that make you feel? Why do you think she was saying that? And on and on, as many wise as possible, listening to me to come to understand. To come to understand. And I need to be heard. <clears throat> I used to uh, be a trial lawyer, and I often would mediate cases uh, between two people, one who had sued somebody and the other uh, defending the case. And the people would decide that, well, before we go to trial, let's see if we can't resolve this case. And they would come in, and one of the things you get to do when you go to trial is you get to have what we call your day in court. You get to be heard. You get to speak to the jury. Tell your story. People come to mediation. They need to be heard. They need to hear the, need to tell their story so that the mediator can then understand. And once they've had a chance to tell their story, they're more likely to listen to what the mediator has to say. Jesus gave his complete attention to those who came to him. We, as mediators, need to give our attention and listen. The heart of mediation is not just listening, but it's also understanding. Jesus was able to address everybody's specific need because he knew them. He knew what they needed. He knew what it was that was necessary to bring healing and wholeness to their particular situation. Sometimes he even asked them, didn't he? Bartimaeus. Son of David, Jesus, help! What can I do for you, Bartimaeus? I need my sight. Jesus listened, and he heard them, and he understood them, so then he knew what he could do. When Tim understood, if I told him that this, I, this you know, white privilege business, this uh, whiteness business, this systemic racism business was just made me feel like I was a racist. What he might then do is then, now that he understands that, he might go to the other side. And he might say, you know, what did you mean by the words white privilege? What did you mean when you use that term, systemic racism? What did you mean when you uh, used the other terms? Ross feels like you were calling him a racist. In that time... There's the opportunity for that person to say, to say, oh, golly, I didn't realize that. And to then explain what, what she meant. <clears throat> and then Tim could come back now that he understands my concerns, now that he understands what she meant to say. Tim can come back and he can do the next thing that a mediator does. <clears throat> he can then bring me to understand Maybe where I am unclear. Maybe where I'm not getting the message. Maybe where I misunderstood what the other person's saying. And he might even be able in that time to give gentle correction. You remember how Jesus, I think Jesus always gave, not always, but often gave very gentle correction to people. Jesus when the woman in adultery was brought to him, caught in adultery to him, writes in the sand, challenges the people who had attacked her, looked at her, 
asked her if anybody had condemned her. No, neither do I, right? All very gentle, and then go and sin no more. A teachable moment. A moment where he could so gently show her the way to freedom. Oh, but only after, only after he had earned her trust and only because he did it gently. He didn't accuse her. He didn't attack her. He corrected her gently. He does the same thing with Martha in that story of Mary and Martha, doesn't he? Martha comes and says, hey, my sister ain't doing nothing. I got a lot to do here. Martha, Martha, you're anxious and 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 uh, distracted by many things. I hear nothing but a gentle voice there. There's only one thing that's important, one thing that's necessary. Mary has chosen the better portion. Gently, gently showing Martha what something that she needs to know. It may even have been in that conversation that Father Tim could have said, you know, there is, would you agree with me, Ross, that there is racism in our society? Yes. Would you agree with me that racism is a bad thing? Yes. Finding common ground, and maybe even, I don't know, you know, I'm doing a very short thing here, but maybe even, Ross, would you be willing to search your heart to see if there's any racism in you? Right, gently, having gone through these steps. Another thing that the mediator does is to keep the goal in mind. Jesus always had the goal in mind from the very beginning, didn't he? He knew that his goal, his job, was to give his life for the ransom of many. From the very beginning, he was moving toward the cross. And we see these little glimpses, especially in John's Gospel, where Jesus says, My time has not yet come. Always walking toward that time. And never distracted. Not distracted by Satan in the wilderness. Not distracted by the Pharisees, by his need to be popular. By, uh, you know, his desire to uh, bring a kingdom. Not distracted by anything. And not distracted by the threat of death and crucifixion on the cross. Even at the very end, telling them, Father, saying, Father, forgive, for they know not what they do. He knew that his mission was to bring peace. That's true for all mediators. We need to keep our goal, eyes on the goal, which is to bring peace and to bring harmony, no matter our opinions. That the ultimate thing here is that we want unity between people, between one another. Finally, number seven, the mediator recognizes the true enemy. Jesus knew who the real enemy was. Jesus didn't come to set up a political, a new political structure. Jesus didn't come to be an earthly king. Jesus knew that the real enemy was Satan, and from the very beginning, he came to defeat the power of sin and death. And by doing that, to bring peace between us and God. And so it is, right, uh, with us. That situation with me and that preacher. Father Tim would be realizing, you know, 
Ross and the preacher aren't the enemies. They aren't each other's enemies. It's Satan, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, to divide us from one another. It's Satan who's at work here. And I need to focus on that as the mediator. And we may even need to show the parties that that's what's going on. This person is not your enemy. This person is not your enemy. Well, most of us, excuse me, most of us maybe haven't done a media, an official mediation. Most of us will probably not be asked to do an official mediation. But the reality is, isn't it, that these situations arise every day. We can be involved in social media, and these kind of discussions come up, whether it's politics, race, whether we're going to get, you know, the vaxxers and the anti-vaxxers, whether it's parenting, sexuality, you name it, it's out there. And there's this great division. How are we going to enter those conversations? Are we going to enter those conversations anxiously? Are we going to enter those conversations with our ego and our need to be right? Are we going to enter our converse, those conversations by shouting over everybody else, refusing to understand where they're at, etc.? Or are we going to enter those conversations with the habits of Jesus, with the goal of Jesus to bring together in peace, those who are apart. My friends, our culture is in desperate need of peacemakers. Our culture is in desperate need of mediators. Our culture is in desperate need of bringing all together in unity, learning to love one another, to be gracious unto one another, those kinds of things. In our gospel lesson this morning, Jesus sends the disciples out, right? He sends them out to do what he came to do, was to preach, the, to bring the kingdom of God by preaching and healing and taking power over the spirits. And he gave them instructions. He told them what to bring and what not to bring. He told them to go and he says, stay with it. Go to that house and stay with it while you're there. Jesus, in his habits, by his Holy Spirit, can give us his habits and show us what to bring, our calm, our listening, our understanding, our gracious gentleness in correcting, keeping our eyes on the ball and realizing who the real enemy is. Won't happen, it won't work every time Jesus says, you know, if they won't listen to you, shake the dust off your piece, off your feet and go. But he sends them out to try. And in fact, they have amazing success. Will you pray with me? Lord God, thank you. Thank you that you sent Jesus, your only son, to mediate between us and you. Lord, give us, give us that same spirit. Develop in us those same habits that we may mediate 
the disputes and the pain and the separation and the hostility around us and bring more and more to you in your holy name. Amen. I'd like us to close as we did last week with the prayer of St. Francis, which is on your phones. Right after the, where it says the sermon, I think. Let's say this together. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is discord, union. Where there is error, truth. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may seek not so much to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive, it is in pardoning that we are pardoning, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen.